Hello, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the June 1st edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As always, today's show is brought to you by Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. Last week, I delved into who won and why, and you can catch that episode of Local Matters on my website. That is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. Just go to the Local Matters tab, click on the episode, and you can listen to it or share it with any others that you would like to. This week, we talk about why over 70% of Augusta's registered voters chose not to vote in the May 24th election. Local Matters family, today I am proud to have as a guest, uh, Marion Brown. Uh, she is one of our regular Local Matters family members. Uh, I will get feedback from her from time to time. Hey, I caught that show and I can't believe you talked about X. Uh, so uh, we're happy to have her today as a guest. Uh, we thought it was particularly important that uh, this was the right time for her to be on because in addition to various other roles in the community, she is the president of the League of Women Voters of the CSRA. How are you doing today, Sarah Marion? I am doing just fine, and I'm just delighted to be sharing this space with you today. Today. Thank you so much for the invitation. You're very welcome. Um, as usual on the show, when we're not doing election coverage, uh, we will have one guest, dedicate the show to one guest, um, and uh, we will ask that guest to review a little bit about their background. I know there are a lot of people in the Augusta area who are familiar with you based upon your community work, but uh, if you could just give us a little feedback about um, where you're from, how you got to Augusta, etc. Okay, sure. Uh, I came to Augusta in 1968 as a freshman student at Payne College. My hometown is Pine Mountain, Georgia. It's in West Georgia. It's a small resort town. Your listeners may have heard of Callaway Gardens. That's our big attraction. We're near um, Franklin D. Roosevelt's Little White House, just to give you an idea. We're sandwiched on interstate, off Interstate 85 between Columbus and Atlanta, uh, a very nice area uh, that I grew up in. Once I graduated from Payne, I got my first job as a teacher and I taught school locally for probably 16 or 17 years and then had the opportunity to um, go to the technical college uh, field. And I taught the remainder of my teaching career at Augusta Technical College. Those were some of the best years of my professional uh, life. Along the way, I was exposed to the League of Women Voters. And um, we can talk a little bit more about how that happened. But um, Augusta has been a wonderful community to live in. Uh, I merit locally, have a family here, 
and lots of professional friends and personal friends. And this is where I put my stake and I tend, intend to stay here. <laughs> All righty. Well, well, you have been such an asset to the Augusta community. We're glad to have you here. You. Uh, you make reference to the League of Women Voters. And I know our big topic for today is just talk about voter participation and some of the disappointments we saw in the May 24th primary. Um, but before we get into that, I want to uh, ask you to address just what we all have heard of the League of Women Voters, but what exactly does that organization do? Okay, uh, let me just kind of backtrack a little bit and say the first time that I heard of the League of Women Voters was when I was sitting home watching a presidential election debate and I saw the big sign, the League of Women Voters. And later, when I came to Augusta, I was approached by a parent who said, why don't you come to our meeting? We'd love to have you join our group. I went to a meeting, I did not join, but through the years, I was always impressed with the work that they did. So the League of Women Voters is a nonpartisan political organization. We encourage informed and active participation in government. Nonpartisan is very important because we discuss issues, but we do not support any political party, nor do we support any candidate. The organization was founded in 1920, just six months before the passage of the 19th Amendment, actually before the ratification of the 19th Amendment that gave women um, the right to vote. So I might add that there were women of color who were engaged in the suffrage movement. Um, many, you know, that we've heard of. Um, Mary Church Terrell uh, was one that people think of quite frequently. So women of color have been involved in this organization since the beginning. Some of the things that we do quickly include voter services and citizen education. Uh, we present unbiased and nonpartisan information about elections, the voting process, and any other issues. Now, when the league has issues that it, um, let's say that we address, we do that in a very methodical way. We go through study groups, and we define what issues we want to chap, what issues we want to champion. So we don't just willy-nilly say, oh, we think we'll we'll jump on this bandwagon. And sometimes that's a little difficult for the public to understand. It may be an issue that other groups are championing, championing, but if our league has not gone through the process of studying that and making a declaration that this will be one of, our, one of our causes, then we don't bother that at this particular time. We're in all 50 states, including, uh, in addition to Hong Kong, the Virgin Islands, and the District of Columbia. Uh, Columbia. Um, also, we're in more than 700 communities. So if you wanted to put up three fingers and remember most importantly, what we are about, it's voter registration, 
voter education and voter participation. We try to hit those three areas and from there we fan out and do whatever we see we can do to help voters become more informed and more active in their government. Okay, which means that the League of Women Voters is the uh, an ideal organization to try to grapple with some of the issues that I've heard so many in our community talk about over the last week. Uh, we look at voter turnout um, and every, I think every election we look at it and we think, gosh, it should have been more than that. Um, this time around in particular in Richmond County, I think our overall voter participation was 28.3%, which sounds absolutely abysmal given the number of key offices that were on the ballot this time around. I mean, you, we had things at the local level, um, mayoral, judicial, as well as commission seats. Um, at the statewide level, we also had a number of uh, important offices on the ballot. So there were a lot of choices to make and we still only had a 28% turnout in Augusta. So what do you think about when, when you uh, hear that? I'll tell you the first thing that comes to mind and this is not a, uh, an indictment of the candidates. But when you think about that turnout rate, 28.22%, and you think about the position of the mayor, such an important position in any community, we are allowing just a little over one in four people to decide who that individual will be. And that's how I hope the public will begin to look at this. What major decision would you turn over to one in four people? Uh, such an important position. Um, and then, you know, when we think about the low turnout, there were some um, precincts that were even lower. Um, and of course, we'll get into some of the reasons for low turnout. And uh, let me hasten to say this is, a not, this is not about bashing people who do not turn out. We're looking for answers and we're looking for solutions because unless we understand the issue of low turnout, we're not going to be able to pose solutions to make it better. And I think that's what we all want to do. I know that's what the candidates want to do because uh, I'm sure all of them who are now going to be in a runoff would have preferred that they could have won their race um, on, the first goal, on the first ballot, but that didn't happen. So here we are faced with the runoff, but keep in mind, it's in everyone's interest to get out and vote and to do it early and do it at the appointed time. Uh, traditionally, the runoff uh, population tends to be lower than the initial primary voting uh, population. So if, if that bears out this time, we may have fewer people to come back to vote in the runoff than voted in the primary. 
Yeah. And as you talk about some of the precincts with the higher turnout, um, what were some of the highest numbers and some of the lowest? Um, interestingly, uh, I've got a list of the top five precincts. And Precinct 704, that would be in District 7, had 57.8%. Uh, 303 had 53.8%. And 304 had 51.4%. Precinct 301 had 50.5%. <clears throat> and Precinct 701 had 45.2%. Now, if you were listening, two of those were in District 7, and the other three were in District 3 of the top five. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. And then we look at, uh, let me just say this. If, if I were a candidate or an advocate, advocacy group, I would be asking the question, what is it that compels the voters in this district or in these precincts to vote in higher numbers? But conversely, there has to be the question, when we look at the bottom five um, precinct um, percentages, we have to ask, what is it that perhaps hindered these uh, voters or the members in this these precincts from voting in higher numbers. So when we look at the bottom five, we have 507. The turnout rate was 18%. We look at 115. The turnout rate was 16.7. Precinct 102, 16.3%, 106, 14.1%, and the lowest of all was Precinct 803, and the turnout rate was 7%. So of those five that were the lowest, three were in District 1, one in District 5, and one in District 8. So again, the question has to be, how do we engage with the voters in those areas to answer questions? There may be questions they have. There may be some impediments that we're not aware of. We just don't know. And when we talk to people individually, we really just get an anecdotal uh, sense of what their issues may be. Uh, we'll talk a little bit later about some of the historical reasons for low voter turnout. And some of those may apply in these instances. We just don't know. And as you speak towards solutions, that's excellent information. As you speak towards solutions, do you think anybody gets this right? Or are we all just sort of taking a shot in the dark in every community, trying to figure out what we can do to improve uh, turnout, identify those impediments and improve turnout? You know, um, this will be something that I'll maybe try to do later. 
Um, and that is to look at turnout rates before we move the primaries to May. Um, I don't know if you recall <clears throat> when we used to vote on the mayor's election, I think in uh, October, but it was closer to the general election. Do you remember that? The turnout was higher too. I checked the numbers from 2010. The turnout in the mayoral uh, race that time was about 45%. Okay. And so I made a little note here is that consider the time of the year when the primary races are held. And I'm thinking if, <clears throat> if we're seeing a lowering of the turnout rate, I'm asking, was that the right decision? Was that the best decision for the voters? That's one thought that comes to mind. Uh, whether we get it right or not, I'm not really sure, but I was surprised that the rate was so low simply because I thought that I felt a, an energy uh, among the candidates that I believed was pretty, pretty high. And I thought that it would translate to voter turnout. Evidently, it's obvious that it did not. And how we fix that, I think it's going to require that we continue to prod why voters don't turn out and what can we do to um, address those issues as best as we understand them. Another um, area that we need to be mindful of in terms of um, low turnout, low voter turnout is the age factor. We do know, and research has shown this again and again, that the age group 18 to 29 has the lowest turnout rate. Conversely, older individuals have the highest. 50% um, of our older voters, um, excuse me, um, voters between the ages of 50 and 65 and up have the highest rate of turnout. Um, it could be that younger voters are concerned about other things. They're usually just starting their professional career. Uh, some are working multiple jobs and may not have the time. And one of the things that they said in a survey was that they did not feel they had enough information to make the best choices when they were voting. And I get that because when I was preparing for the recent primary, I spent countless days going online looking for information about the candidates. And when you have statewide candidates who live in other parts of the state, that is a, an additional challenge because you don't know those people. They're not in your local area. Another uh, reason cited is that people who, have, who belong to a lower socioeconomic level tend to vote less than people who are from a higher socioeconomic range. Uh, people with lower income tend to have a lot, not always, and I don't want this to sound 
as, as if we're disparaging, but people who are in a lower socioeconomic level may have additional concerns that they have to deal with because of that, that other uh, voters do not have to worry about. And keep in mind that across the board in 2020, there were 80 million eligible voters who did not vote. We do have a serious concern and we've got to all work together on trying to alleviate it. And if I can just mention one last thing, um, another issue that I'm concerned about is partisan gerrymandering. Some people do not vote because they feel that their vote will not count. If you um, are voting and there's not anyone on the ballot that you believe is going to care about your concerns and your interest, you're not likely to continue to vote. So under partisan gerrymandering, where the uh, district lines are drawn to benefit one particular party, whether it's Democratic or whether it's the Republican party, it doesn't matter because in history, we have seen it work both ways. You're not likely to continue to vote if you never see an individual on the ticket that represents you. So keep that in mind. We want to continue to work on matters of that nature. I know that we had numerous forums being held in the community. I attended countless forums that were held virtually and got just splendid information about candidates that I didn't know. Some of them were not in my district and I was not able to vote for them, but I still appreciated the fact that they were offering themselves for public, for public office and um, we could learn more about them because you never know. They may come back in another cycle and run for a, a countywide seat where everyone in the county will be voting for them. And so I appreciate it knowing and hearing about their, uh, their positions at this time. But um, I, I do say that we have a lot of work to do. And we do have a lot of work to do as we think about that. Uh, if uh, the League of Women Voters could wave a magic wand and somebody uh, dropped a huge amount of money in the laps of your organization, um, how would you use that money to get to the, some of the root causes that we just discussed? Well, <laughs> um, a lot of the things that I would love to see, uh, I guess, rectified would require legislative actions. Uh, one of the reasons that I found historically, and perhaps it's um, going to be one of the key reasons in this area, is that there have been a raft of changes to our state voting, voting laws. And when so many changes are made at one time, the voters are left somewhat um, perplexed. They're sometimes confused. They are uncertain. 
so much information was given uh, during the last legislative cycle that even I find myself checking things that I used to feel that I was pretty certain about, but because we had a major law change, I go back and I double check, I double check and I double check. And so this is something that I do as a part of my volunteer work. Your average citizens don't have the time nor the, um, maybe the desire necessarily to spend that much time and energy checking on these details. So I think that I would want us to get back to a place where we're not pushing through so many changes at one time so that citizens have a greater sense of certainty, a greater sense of knowing what the expectations are and not feeling that if I do A, B, C, D, I'll run afoul of the law. Maybe I shouldn't bother to even vote at all. It's just too much to worry about. And okay. I think the other thing would be to um, probably not have the current restrictions that we are now having on third party groups being able to um, support the local election boards so that we know that if there are boards of elections that need additional um, support that may cost money, they would be able to get it. That's no longer allowed under SB 202. Um, I don't know if you, you're, all of your listeners are aware, but during the 2020 election, when we were going through COVID, um, the local board of election was able to get several grants that allowed them to purchase a lot of things. I believe they were able to buy the stylus pens that would allow the voter to press the um, press, make their selection without having to touch the screen because we were concerned about passing along germs. Well, those kinds of um, uh, donations are no longer allowed. So that would probably be at the top of my list. Wow. Okay. So um, we've got a couple minutes left. Um, as you reflect back on this topic, we're getting prepared for a runoff that takes place on June 21st. Um, what, what do you want to uh, say to members of our community as they um, think about where we go from here? Okay, the first thing I would say is make a plan. Whenever you're planning to vote, make a plan. Review the ballot, know who's on the ballot, and do as much research as you can to determine for whom you want to vote. Attend meetings, uh, attend forums. If you have access to a computer and can go to and can attend virtual meetings, I would encourage you to do that. I would also encourage you to not be shy about reaching out and joining groups such as the League of Women Voters or any other group. There are lots of groups in Augusta that are um, about um, 
sharing information to make sure that voters can make an informed decision. They do not tell you for whom to vote. They just want to be sure that you have as much information as possible so that you can make the very best decision. Do not be overwhelmed by the changes. Uh, if I can use a quick metaphor, I remember when Tiger Woods won the Masters, I think the first year, and the, uh, country, the Augusta National made some changes. I don't think I ever heard Tiger Woods complaining about the changes. He just came back and he knew what the changes were and he got busy and he won the next year. And so regardless of what changes are being made in the law, it's our job to um, work through those changes and vote. While you're voting, you can still petition your elected officials. You can write to your congressperson or whomever and let them know what your position is. But while you're doing that, you must continue to vote. Vote within the law, but make your voice heard and make your concerns known. Not voting should not be an option. And that is a perfect way to end this episode of Local Matters. Thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you. And um, I look forward to perhaps having the opportunity for our league to come on again. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters. <laughs>